Um, let's just get uh, into today's word for today. Um, and before we do that, there, I have another video that's not an announcement, but it's kind of related to what we're going to talk about today. I do believe the Bible. I believe the Bible is true. That doesn't mean I believe that every story in scripture is historical or scientific, or that we can only learn truths from science and history. I think stories can speak really powerful truths into our lives. So with the Bible, I think a lot of people approach the Bible as a conversation ender. You know, you see the bumper stickers, the Bible said it, I believe it, that settles it. And I think that the Bible with all of its tensions and conflicts and competing voices and perspectives invites us into conversation with one another. I believe the Bible's meant to be a conversation starter, not a conversation ender. Um, and I think the Jewish community has done a much better job of preserving this notion of scripture as a conversation starter. Uh, I have an Orthodox Jewish friend named Ahava, and I heard from Ahava not long ago, she was telling me about how her husband's a rabbi, so they had a bunch of other rabbis over to their home um, to talk, and they, she said, oh, they were debating the Torah. Uh, the conversation went on and on. Nobody could seem to agree on the meaning. We started to run out of food. And oh, Rachel, she said, it was wonderful. Because <laughs> she knew that that text was what drew them into community together. It gave them something to talk about. And I think the Bible, being people of faith, isn't just about being right about things. Being people of faith is about being part of a community. And the Bible invites us into community precisely because it's difficult to understand. Precisely because it doesn't have a single apparent clear meaning. Uh, the Bible invites conversation. It invites disagreement. And instead of freaking out about that, I think we should welcome it. Uh, I had a big kind of conversation debate on the blog the other day because I was struggling with the story of Abraham and Isaac. I said, I sure wouldn't drive a knife through my child's chest, even if I was convinced God was telling me to. And this, and next thing I knew, atheists were weighing in, Jews were weighing in, Muslims, Christians, conservatives, liberals, everybody had this sort of different take on Abraham and Isaac and how that story ought to inform us today. And I learned so much in that conversation about God, about my neighbors. Uh, I thought it was really beautiful. Now, some people were very upset that I didn't come out of that with a real clear... Well, who's, who's right? What's the answer? Who wins? Who wins? on whether or not yes. Abraham did the right thing. I don't know. I think the truth is hidden somewhere in the conversation, really. Um, and I think, you know, this notion that the Bible has is clear. If the Bible were clear, why would we have as many denominations that we have? Why would you and I be having this conversation right now? The Bi and, and why would we have the mistakes that we have in history? We had folks from the South in the buildup to the Civil War very convinced that the Bible was clear. Slaves, obey your masters. How can you contradict the Bible like that by supporting abolition? So if the Bible were clear, we wouldn't have the history that we have. We wouldn't have the conversations that we have now. Um, so I think rather than trying to force everyone to agree, forcing everybody to be on the same page, we welcome the conversation and we hold our interpretations with an open hand. Uh, whatever you think about inerrancy, 
All I know is that my interpretation sure isn't inerrant. I am not inerrant. And that's a good thing to keep in mind, to hold our interpretations of Scripture with an open hand so that should we be wrong, we have the humility to admit that. All right. So that is from the uh, late writer, Rachel Held Evans. Um, she grew up uh, really conservative and um, in uh, her later years, she started asking a lot of questions, having some doubts and kind of stirring up a little bit of controversy because of some of the struggles that she was openly talking about. And because of that, a lot of those in the conservative uh, wing were kind of ostracizing her, condemning her and like criticizing her for just asking good questions. And a lot of these questions that she was asking was not for the sake of coming to like a solid, clear, like absolute answer. You know, there, there are struggles, there are genuine struggles that she was having. And right as she was like starting to like think this way about like theology and about God, um, she uh, went, underwent this pretty routine surgery that um, kind of ended badly. She got infections and it was, there was a lot of complications with that surgery and then she passed away a few years ago. Um, but I, I thought that video was a really good place to start for us because so many times we often think that our faith takes us out of these places where we have questions and doubts, that it takes us out of the wilderness and into these like valleys and vast open plains. We have this misconception that once we become people of faith, it will eliminate all doubt, eradicate all fear, and erase any uncertainty that we may have. However, by and large, faith invites us into the unknown. Faith invites us into the darkness and faith invites us into the wilderness. When God freed his people, the Israelites from slavery in Egypt 4,000 years ago, he allowed them to wander in the desert for 40 years. He led them into freedom, but immediately they were left wandering around in the desert for 40 years. And while it may appear that they were doing nothing, they were actually doing a lot. Uh, they were creating their own government, creating new laws for their future, and they were reestablishing and rediscovering their faith. One of the ways that they established their faith was through the tabernacle, which was a tent, a mobile tent that served as a portable sanctuary. That's where the presence of God was supposed to be found. And since then, this practice of searching for God um, continually and habitually was found in places like tabernacles, temples, and churches. Since then, um, this expectation of God's presence is obviously found in these like sacred spaces, sanctuaries. If there was a word that was opposite of a sanctuary, it's the wilderness. The wilderness is the last place that anyone would expect to find God. Yet, 
there are many instances where God encounters his people in the very last place that they expect. Even if you were to do a word search in the Bible, uh, in the New uh, International Version, if you look at the word wilderness, it appears over 160 times because the wilderness was repeatedly where people would encounter God and experience some of the most dramatic transformations that they would ever experience. And we're going to look at one of those passages right now. It's uh, found in Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 28. Genesis 32, verses 22 through 28. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And the man wrestled him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with this man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at this mysterious, elusive, and even kind of difficult passage, you are inviting us to look inward and to be honest with some of the doubts, struggles, and questions that we have. Lord, being people of faith in Los Angeles, in the 21st century is difficult and it's supposed to be difficult. And part of the reason why it's so difficult is because everyone around us seems to be looking for fulfillment in the world and always coming up empty. So we want to look for fulfillment, for blessing, for peace in you but it also means going against the grain and sw swimming upstream while the current of culture and everyone around us in society is going the other way. Would you give us the focus, the clarity and guidance to follow you and to understand what it means to be people of faith in this vast wilderness of life? Amen. All right, so um, as I mentioned earlier, the word wilderness or this theme, this idea of wilderness appears many, many times throughout the Bible, over 160 times in both the Old Testament and New Testament. But I particularly like the passages in the Old Testament where this theme of the wilderness appears because there's not a lot of clarity whenever the wilderness appears in the Old Testament passages. 
Okay, there are scenes like today uh, that the passage that we looked at today, where um, Jacob, uh, the grandson of Abraham, is in the wilderness when he is fleeing for his life from his brother Esau, who was trying to murder him. Okay, his brother Esau was um, felt uh, deceived by Jacob multiple times, and he hated Jacob. He ended up resenting him because Jacob ended up uh, stealing something that rightfully belonged to him. And then there's the story of Moses when he was a shepherd in the land of Midian and he lost one of his sheep and he was going up the mountainside to simply look for his lost sheep in the wilderness, in the wild. And then he encountered this burning bush in Mount Sinai. And that's where he encountered God. And God gave him the call to go back to Egypt and to free his people out of slavery. Then there's the prophet Elijah when he was searching for God in the wilderness, in the mountainside, and he searched for God in the fire, in the earthquake, in the hurricane, and yet it was in the still small voice of a whisper where God spoke to him. All of these things happened in the wilderness. And even before Jesus Christ began his ministry, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. He had to go through that experience. He had to go through that difficult struggle before he began his ministry. And if all of these heroes of the faith and even Jesus Christ himself went through a wilderness period, surely we all have to as well as people of faith, as God's sons and daughters. And yet so oftentimes we're taught that our faith calls us out of the wilderness when it's precisely the opposite that happens. Um, in this specific story uh, where Jacob was fleeing from his brother Esau, who was trying to murder him, the reason why this happened is because right before this, uh, his brother uh, or his father Isaac um, was on his deathbed. Right? And uh, he had to give his what's called birthright which is the bulk of his inheritance to the older son, which is Esau. Now that doesn't mean that Jacob would get nothing, okay? It still means that like Esau, his older brother was entitled to getting more because he was the firstborn son. And Esau was, um, the, his name literally means hairy one, the one who's hairy. <laughs> and, and Jacob did not have a lot of hair. And so the way that he deceived his father on his deathbed was because as he was dying, he was going blind and so he couldn't see uh, who, whom he was talking to. And so Jacob uh, put like animal hair on his arm because his brother had a lot of hair on his arm, but Jacob did not. And he deceived him and he gave him his birthright instead of uh, Esau. And so, uh, and then shortly after Isaac died, right? And so Esau was like upset, rightly so. And he was like bloodthirsty and he wanted to, kill his younger brother, Jacob. And so Jacob was literally like fleeing for his life. And this was one of the reasons why I've always disliked Jacob because he was a deceiver, okay? His name literally means like freeloader, okay? And his parents were very uncreative with the names, okay? Esau came out and sometimes this happens where like babies come out and they're covered in hair. This happened with my daughter. I was freaking out. Because when she came out, she had like hair on her back. And I was like, oh my God, 
<laughs> why does she look like a middle-aged man? And, um, <laughs> and, but eventually some of that hair goes away, okay? But with Esau, he came out and he was covered in hair and that hair just never went away, right? And that's why I'm just imagining like this like seven-year-old boy like covered in hair with like a <laughs> five o'clock shadow and everything. So when Esau came out, they called him Harry. <laughs> so Esau literally means hairy one, right? So they called him Esau or, you know, in English, it would be like Harry. <laughs> and then his twin brother came out right after holding on to Esau's heel. So from the moment of birth, Jacob was a freeloader. <laughs> so they called him the one who grabs onto the heel of another, which I guess that's what Jacob means, okay? Or in other words, it means like freeloader, right? So that's like a terrible name to grow up with, Jacob, right? Freeloader. And so, um, so I've always had this like struggle with Jacob, right? That he received, he had so many great things happening for him. He not only had one wife, but two, right? And uh, on, on top of that, he even had like female slaves, okay? And on top of that, he had like many kids. He had 11 sons. Who knows how many daughters he had, right? And he had lots of money. He was wealthy. And he earned most of it by deception and by tricking people. And yet, when I was like reading this story again this past week, I couldn't help but feel like Jacob myself. And maybe subconsciously, deep down inside, that's why I always hated Jacob. Because sometimes I like connect with him in a way that like, I don't want to admit, right? Like so many of the things I have in my life and I, that I've had in my life, I really don't feel like I've deserved it. And right now in this moment of my life, I very much feel like Jacob did in today's passage. My whole idea of family, my definition, my understanding of family is totally like shattered. Um, I'm, I feel very much alone, like Jacob does in this situation. I kind of feel homeless right now. Okay, I don't know where my home is. And tomorrow, like we're moving out of our apartment and into our home, but I'm, that's only going to be like my weekend home. So that feels really weird. I kind of feel homeless like Jacob does now. And I definitely feel like I'm alone in the wild. And just like Jacob is just trying to survive, <laughs> I'm just trying to survive. So as much as I hate to admit it, I totally connect with Jacob in this moment. And the scary thing about being people of faith, okay, is that faith often calls us into the wilderness. Faith often calls us into the wilderness. Sometimes this happens by way of invitation, like when the prophet Elijah went up to the mountainside um, in the wilderness to meet with God, or when uh, Apostle Paul uh, was blinded on the road to Damascus. Uh, it was like an invitation for him to change his life around. Other times, it happens unintentionally or unknowingly. I don't want to say by accident because it's not really accident, but it, it happens unintentionally. 
like when Moses, the prophet Moses, encountered God at Mount Sinai, at the burning bush. Moses had no idea what he was walking into. Other times, the wilderness is forced upon you, almost against your will. Still, that's a calling from God. In this story where Jacob is wrestling this random man <laughs> in the middle of the wilderness, Jacob didn't ask for it, okay? It was immediately after he sent his family away, his servants, and all of his possessions, and he was left utterly alone. That is when this man encountered him in the wilderness and started wrestling with him. It's a little weird if you think about it. This whole situation is like, this whole story is very weird. Like, I'm wondering, like, did this man just appear? Was he hiding behind a tree? And then, like, when his family and servants and all of his possessions were gone, he came out and he's like, ha! And then he just starts, like, wrestling with Jacob. This whole situation is weird. And then at first, I thought maybe it was an angel, right? But if you look at some of the titles in your Bibles, like, sometimes it says Jacob wrestles with an angel. It says Jacob wrestles with a mysterious man. And other times it directly just states Jacob wrestles with God. Whether this is God in human form, whether it's Jesus before he came down, like born as a baby, like, or, or whether it's um, an angel, uh, Jacob is wrestling with God, either literally or uh, figuratively. And at first, Jacob doesn't know how to how to do this, right? But he's like fighting back. He's struggling, right? And they're seemingly wrestling all night. And then the man says, it's almost morning. It's almost daybreak. Okay, I'm done. And at this point, like Jacob is like fully engaged. He's like, I'm not letting you go. Right? I'm not letting you go until you bless me. And there are many people um, in, 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 seasons of wilderness, there's almost always a struggle, right? Like Moses, when God called Moses to lead his people and to free them out of slavery, Moses didn't want to do it, right? He said no. When Jesus was in the wilderness fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he wasn't reluctant uh, for God's will, but there was a struggle. He was hungry. <laughs> he was thirsty. He was tempted, and when Paul was going, Apostle Paul was going from city to city, starting churches and like talking about Jesus and like talking about the kingdom of God and doing God's work, uh, he eventually developed this physical injury, which he calls a thorn in his side. And perhaps this is why Paul was able to say with such confidence that in his weakness, his strength is made perfect. And this is the other thing about the wilderness, which is really scary for me, is that faith in the wilderness often comes with pain. Faith in the wilderness often comes with pain. There was this one moment in today's passage where uh, the man who, you know, is either God himself or represents God, saw that he could not overpower Jacob. And so he merely touched the side of Jacob's hip and uh, he was injured, right? So in verse 25, it says, when the man saw that he could not overpower Jacob, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Very much like 
how Paul had a thorn in his side. Um, Jacob eventually had a thorn in his side. One of the things that like I always wonder about is um, like with transformation, right? Um, transformation, I'm realizing more and more like it's not an easy process, right? And I, I've been, <laughs> this is weird, but I've been thinking about transformation <laughs> a lot more these days because my son is super into transformers, right? You know, the toy where um, he has all these toys where they transform from a car to a robot. And whenever I uh, watch the cartoons or the movies, I wonder if when they're transforming, I wonder if it hurts, you know? Because it looks like they're contorting their bodies in weird ways, right? But in the robots, right? Do they feel pain? I don't know. And I was also thinking about um, when a caterpillar transforms into a butterfly. Like, what happens in the cocoon? What happens in the chrysalis? Right? Like, what happens in there? Because it goes from becoming this like caterpillar, this like worm, into this like totally different like looking animal, right? This butterfly. So in that cocoon, it, it must be doing, I wonder if it's painful for a caterpillar to turn into, because it, it must eventually kind of like turn into like this mush and uh, it's starting to develop and form wings. Like it, it must be going through some amount of pain there, right? It must not be easy, right? And then eventually it, it, it blossoms and even when it's coming out of the cocoon, right? Like, um, uh, like biologists say, like um, if they receive any kind of help at all, it'll die, right? They they actually need to break out of that shell and and like struggle their way out to develop like certain like muscles and like uh, like ligaments and things like that in order for them to actually properly transform into the butterfly and then they take some time to eventually blossom and turn into this beautiful butterfly transformation was never meant to be easy right transformation is always supposed to be difficult painful and hard but ultimately uh what you what you will discover is that uh faith in the wilderness will lead to blessing Faith in the wilderness will lead to blessing. Now, here's the thing, okay? Uh, as I mentioned earlier, Jacob had two wives, two female servants, 11 sons, God knows how many daughters, right? And uh, a bunch of other servants and a lot of possessions, right? Yet he was not blessed. He even had stolen his father's birthright but he did not receive the blessing of God. Isn't that interesting? Like he was wrestling with this man and he was, left, he, he was utterly alone in the wilderness. His family was gone, his possessions were gone. And the thing that he was asking for is blessing, God's blessing, spiritual blessing. He was wealthy, but he was not blessed. He had family but he was not blessed. It was, only it was only when he entered into the wilderness and encountered God and struggled with God that he became blessed. 
I wonder if many of us do not experience the blessing of God because we're seeking after the blessing of the world. And they're not one and the same. They're not. Even some churches will tell you they're the same, but they're not. Just because you have money doesn't mean you're blessed, right? And just because uh, you have friends doesn't mean you're blessed. Spiritual blessing, blessing from God is totally different from the, from the blessing of the world. And for most of Jacob's life, he felt very much entitled, okay? Very much entitled to um, have everything that he had in his life. But in, when he was left alone in his darkest moment of his life, when he was struggling, he realized he did not have God's blessing. God blesses those who struggle with him. God blesses those who struggle with him. Those who do not struggle are not genuinely seeking after the Lord. There are those on both extremes, okay? There are those who do not question anything regarding God or faith. Um, they say really pithy things like, it's God's will. Like whenever something difficult happens, they say, oh, it's God's will. Or everything happens for a reason and so that they don't have to like struggle with it. So they don't have to like wrestle with it, right? There are that, there's that extreme. And then there's the other extreme where when something difficult happens, they just stop believing in God altogether. How could there be a God if I lost my job, right? How could there be a God if um, I'm going through the separation, right? And there's like the, the two extremes where, where God actually wants you to be is to struggle, is to struggle. And this is exactly what happened with Jacob is after his struggle with God, God blessed him. After he genuinely struggled with God, God blessed him. And what's funny about this story is that right after this night of wrestling with God, right after this night of struggling with God, God changed Jacob's name from Jacob, which means like deceiver or freeloader, to Israel, one who struggles with God. And the Jewish people took on this name. They're the Israelites. Or now, you know, we call them Israelis, right? People who struggle with God. That's such a weird name, don't you think? <laughs> why not people who are blessed by God? Or why not children of God? No, it's people who struggle with God because that is where faith is found. Is within the struggle. It's in the wilderness. That is where spiritual growth, that is where transformation, and that is where peace, peace is found. that I wanted to share with you, and it's also in your bulletin. The cave you fear to enter is where your treasure will be found. The cave you fear to enter is where your treasure will be found. And so the reflection question that uh, I want all of us, and I think God is challenging me to ask myself and to reflect on, is what is the wilderness God is calling you into? What is this wilderness that God is calling you into?
Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for being the loving God that you are and for despite our fears, despite our hesitation for calling us into the wilderness. Lord, it is in the struggle where we can find growth. It is in the struggle where we can find transformation. It is in the struggle that we can find blessing. We lift you up, Lord, and we thank you for challenging us. You did not treat us like little children. <laughs> you treat us when you are inviting us into the wilderness, when you are inviting us into the struggle, you are treating us like mature believers. And it's oftentimes because you think we can handle it. So be with us as we go through our respective struggles. I don't know what everyone here is struggling with, what everyone's wilderness looks like, but you know, and your Holy Spirit is with us every step of the way. We pray all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right.